Welcome back to another edition of the Dabbler Cast. Dabbler Cast is the podcast of Dabbler Farm right here in beautiful uh, Corvallis, Oregon. I am your host, John Larson. Um, these are the uh, pre-Wickwill casts, the um, discussion of our values. So if you navigate over to dabblerfarm.org and you go up to about, you'll see a page there that has our seven values that we decided on um, in the beginning here. It'll be interesting to see if they evolve over time, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so I wanted to do a short uh, podcast on each value so the people who are listening can understand what we're trying to accomplish and what we um, stand for. Um, we're up to value number five, which is the free exchange of information. Um, there's a certain paradox of the modern era, and that's that as information is free and widely available, at the same time, the overall quality of the information has been shown to be declining, as well as the overall retention of data by individuals has been on the decline. Um, uh, there's been a lot of commentary and thought put in, into this, you know, um, for the retention, um, you know, I can see it in my own life. I'm sure you can too, that you just don't necessarily need to memorize or learn things that you can just look up at any time, which of course is not a bad, um, philosophy or approach as long as you can depend on the information that you look up. Uh, when Google first became the, the big thing and replaced Yahoo and the other um, search engines before that, its beauty was its simplicity. It was, it was stripped down. It had a new algorithm that was really powerful, and it was free from detritus. It was free from all the externalities that Yahoo had been drifting into. Um, there is a concept in marketing called brand dilution, um, and I remember in uh, my uh, marketing um, course, uh, we went through multiple cases of this. And what basically happens is a brand gets developed over time and gets known for quality. Um, they, they take pride in what they do. They build a really excellent product. The word gets out and then, um, and, and then it becomes ex um, extremely popular and sometimes somewhat exclusive because the quality um, um, keeps the manufacturers from producing um, uh, in, in huge volume. Anyway, with brand dilution, what tends to happen is that the executives of companies look and they see potential earnings that are slipping away. So, for example, you might sell a product at, at a price point of $500 and you recognize that 80% of the market share buys things around $100. So, the, the marketing folks come in and the money makers and the quarterly profits and earnings come in and say, we can make tons more money if we start that underserved market. And um, likewise, um, when Google first came into the, the world, they actually had a corporate phrase, which was don't be evil. And there was a sense of the public good that this was something that was free, that the internet was being indexed, um, and that, that uh, we were doing this together. Well, year by year, bit by bit, following the same pattern of brand dilution, um, well, profit was pursued here, profit was pursued there. With Google, there's actually another problem, which is SEO, 
search engine optimization, basically, and if you have a website um, that you spend any time on, you'll you'll know about this, that there is a arms race between um, web providers and um, website indexers to try to game the index algorithms, which they, they, they try to keep secret, but of course you can poke at it and figure it out if you're really trying hard. So it's this constant game of cat and mouse. And unfortunately, he who has the most money tends to win. You know, if I'm just a, a little person with one little dabbler.farm, dabbler.com, dabblerfarm.org website, I can go and try to do SEO optimization. I can add key terms and synonyms and stuff to help people find my website. But that's going to be nothing compared to, say, um, a farm of, you know, 100, 200, 300 employees doing this in the Philippines or, or, or something, just the sheer weight and mass of what can be done with money. So Google over time has succumbed to the advertisers. This same thing is happening on Amazon. Um, I I'm not. I have been with Amazon since nearly the beginning. My account. I, I look. It's it's been there for I think like 15 years or 17 years or something like that. And um, you know, one of the problems is I tend to buy specialized equipment um, for a small scale farm. That, you know, if I go to my local seed store, they might be selling um, stuff for people who are, you know, farming 10,000 acres or they sell home stuff. And I have to I have to thread that needle and find stuff that's in between those two sizes. And um, if I go searching for something, you know, let's say a chicken incubator is the first thing that came to my mind. You'll go onto Amazon and you'll see 10, 12, 20, 30 products that either have identical photo or a photo that's clearly just been photoshopped. Um, or near identical things with a whole bunch of companies that have usually like five and six almost random English letters, all capitalized, coming from China. And the problem is the price point might be one of them's $40, one of them's $80, one of them's $120. And it's increasingly difficult to even figure out which one is the right one. You know, one might be a knockoff that's made with really cheap product. One might be just inflated and drop shipped from the first one. And, 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 you know, it used to be you could go on the number of, of reviews, but, but um, those can be farmed out. You can get thousands of reviews that you bought that have nothing to do with the actual quality of the product. Um, so, so as we search around, what we're finding is the overall quality of the information is becoming less and less um, um, accurate. Um, when everything is for sale, our, our own ability to evaluate it is compromised. We tend to buy what we like, and what we like is very much under collective cultural control. You don't feel it in the now, in the present, but when you look back in the past, you can see probably your own purchase patterns or the purchase patterns of the collective consciousness followed huge trends, and we bought what was in style, whether it's Cabbage Patch Kids or Pet Rocks or or whatever the latest diet du jour was, um, we are really influenced by, by those around us. And um, one of the problems with this, as, as I'm looking for information, particularly on, on gardening and on the climate and on um, small-scale farming, is there's a lot of information out there that is, I, I, I guess, pushed forward by people who want it to be true. 
Um, uh, when I first moved out to, to Oregon, I, I saw all the lichen on uh, moss on the trees, and it's different than the climate I came from, and I thought, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here at all. So I enrolled in the local uh, Master Gardener program. The only reason I can tell you that is because I never finished it. Um, if you are a Master Gardener, you can't use it <laughs> in anything. Uh, but uh, I, I couldn't get my, uh, my hours in. Um, so um, one of the first principles they taught us is to only use academic sub sources. Uh, when we're doing searches on bugs or defects or plants or plant disease, that, that um, we would use a little trick they taught us. If you go to your search engine and you type the word site, S-I-T-E, colon, and then you put like dot, gov or .edu. .edu would be a better one. So you put site, S-I-T-E, colon, .edu, and then space, then put whatever you would normally put in your, your bar. Um, that will only search websites that end in a .edu extension. Now, those are controlled. Not anybody can get one. You have to be an academic institution to actually get a .edu extension. So that will at least limit your search down to sources that are sourced from universities. Does that make them perfect? No, but the bar um, to get information on there is much higher than just any Yahoo rolling a website out there. So, you know, it was interesting that one of the first principles they taught us in a very kind way was you have to search through a lot of bullcrap to find right, right answers. There's a lot of folk um, solutions. There's a lot of just clearly wrong things. Um, I also um, can, um, you know, fruits and vegetables and stuff. And, and that's been, um, you know, when I when I first started reengaging a few years ago, I, I was doing a lot more web searches. I don't search the web at all. I only go to um, sources like extension services or, you know, the ball blue book or, or things like that, because there's just so much terrible information on the internet of things that are, that are actually um, dangerous, things that can get you in trouble. Uh, I've seen this also with fermented foods. Um, I've seen a lot of gardening practices that are, are completely unproven. Um, so, so, um, you know, and, and I know this because with things I know well, when I search for them on the internet, I do see a lot of information on YouTube and on on, um, on homestead sites and on people's personal sites that I I either know to be likely not true or I know it to be academically unestablished. And there's also um, um, some movements out there that have um, that, that come at the problem from um, different directions. For example, um, permaculture. You'll hear me talk a lot about permaculture. In, in the coming um, episodes. Um, I think the basic pr um, parameters of permaculture, I believe strongly in kind of the, uh, the idea that human beings and their food source and the planet and the ecosystem and all that need to be better integrated. We shouldn't be fighting against it. We shouldn't be pushing it way off so it's not part of um, you know, what, we, what we deal with and what we do. We, you know, it should be present, but... Um, but there, there's there's some elements of that where they've turned on traditional agriculture methods without understanding traditional agriculture methods, in my opinion. And I think it stems from, I've been trying to contemplate this, it stems from a lot of permaculturists are actually coming at it from a place of sort of landscape design. And then they're they're drifting into areas of, of horticulture and agriculture that might be sort of out of out of their realm of expertise so you know they might talk about micronutrients into the ground and they might talk about um, processes of doing things but key information such as volumes um you know ratios 
Um, elements that show that they, anybody's actually done this on scale are oftentimes missing. And of course, there's the performative nature of the um, web. I mean, you could say, well, um, physician, heal thyself. Here you are recording your voice and putting it on the web. I, I understand the irony. Um, but there are many videos out there in, in the agriculture space, uh, in the permaculture space that I see, where um, you, you see somebody putting together something, I don't know, like a strawberry tower or a, a potato box, and, and everything's clean and everything's at the start, and there's no follow-up video. You know, I, I want to see the video that they they record in the fall. Not there's so many videos they record in the spring. How did the thing work? How did your volume and your yield compare to just doing traditional um, agriculture methods? Um, I, I this is especially true with um, you know one of the really popular ideas in um, in uh, in permaculture are the idea of these guilds where you plant under you plant a tree and you plant bushes and you plant plants around there. Um, you know, I find generally under a tree to be quite um, inhospitable. And I asked a, a friend of mine, a professor of forestry, and he basically um, kind of sh uh, shouldered it off and said, you know, trees basically, uh, his, his were, uh, trees basically poison the, the ground underneath them, um, not poison really per se, but they don't want to compete with other plants. So they, you know, there's the the tree strategy is to get as much of the water and nutrient that it can for itself. Of course, there is symbiosis and other things out there. It's a complicated subject. I only bring these up as examples. I, I'm not really trying to dig in deep into them, but out there there is a lot of bad or misleading information. So what are we talking about with our value here? Um, our, our goal on Dabbler Farm is to be as transparent as possible and share that information with other like-minded people. Of course, um, the the idea is that there's other people who are sharing information with us, kind of a mesh network of people um, on the ground, many of them being academics and professors and grad students um, who are working um, to figure out better ways to um, do sustainable um, gardening, sustainable food production, local food production in a way that is not dependent on fossil fuels. And that is a big, big question. Fossil fuels are, are baked entirely into our agriculture food chain from the beginning to the end. Um, so to be as transparent as possible. Um, and then I also kind of have the principle to wait until we know what we're doing, or at least have a better understanding of, of something. Um, just because I'm trying something out doesn't mean I'll necessarily film a video about it. Um, I want to run it for a few times to... Um, to see how it how it actually plays out and and what the problems are, um, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm about to shoot a little video on I'm um, using hay bales um, to plant in. Um, I, I set up the experiment. I went I went and looked at some academic sites, got some methodologies, and um, for the first run of it, this will be the third year that we'll be planting in it. You, you basically uh, take uh, straw bales and you hyper treat them with uh, nitrogen. And then you can plant directly into them. The first year we planted tomatoes and peppers in them. They did fantastic, especially late summer. They they really held um, moisture. It was a great, great experiment. So last year we decided to plant potatoes in there. Uh, we had read an article that um, you you plant the potatoes just down at the bottom. You bore all the way through. Of course, by now the the that's year two. The straw bell had started to to break down a little bit. But they were still mostly the same size. But if you stepped on them, you would you would sink in. 
right? But we, 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 uh, and, and Kimmy was the one who led this. I was skeptical, I'll be honest with you. So she dug a hole and, and took the potato and buried it all the way down at the bottom of the, of the straw bale and then, then closed it back in. And, she, and the idea was because they, they have to shoot so far up, they will have potatoes all through the, the straw bale. And you know what? By gum, it worked. Those potatoes, they emerged. The plants were healthy. It was going along great until about harvest time. And we, we noticed some things. And then when we went to harvest, the problem is rodents um, can burrow into the side of those um, hay bales. And they had eaten um, a large a large amount of the potato crop. Um, the potato crop looked good um, from what was left. It, the, the, it absolutely worked, but it didn't work. Because um, where uh, a, a rat or, or a, a, a vole or a mouse will probably won't dig down deep into the root system of the potatoes, they definitely would root into the um, straw bale. So one really successful experiment, one not so successful experiment, at, le at least without um, um, wrapping that hay bale in something to keep the rodents out. So this will be year three. We'll be planting on those. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. And I'm about to start another round of treatment um, to plant another round of tomatoes and peppers um, this year. So hopefully I'll keep you up to date on what's happening. Um, uh, as So with our value of free exchange of information, not only do we want to share what we're doing and hear what other people are doing, we want to share sources um, for information. We're trying to build um, an information repository. Um, in part because we gather that information already anyway. Um, we want to help evaluate things. We're planning on reading, um, taking books that, that we've read and try to um, uh, determine if the information is of value, um, if it's useful, if it's worth, um, if it's worth buying. And um, then lastly, but most important, is we want to create a network of knowledge. We want to connect with you. We want to connect with other people who are doing the same things so we can share what we've learned, so we can um, swap seeds, so we can do everything um, to figure out how best to go about this. The problem of trying to create small farms that produce a lot of your food, and, and I guess the, the, the other kind of unstated goal is reduce the overall dependency on cash um, so that you don't have to spend as much time working and more of what you need to survive is produced locally. That is a complex problem, and it's going to take a lot of us to, to solve it. And um, although I appreciate living in the modern area, I do. I appreciate that I can shop on Amazon. I appreciate that Google searches can give me so much information. There's a limit to it. And I think we have a responsibility to try to bridge that gap and help to become trusted sources of information um, as we move forward into the next generations. Well, again, thank you for your time and listening to our values. You can contact me at john at dabblerfarm.org um, and uh, go check out dabblerfarm.org to see the latest of what's going on and uh, read the journal entries and, um, and hear what's coming. I look forward to hearing from your feedback and thanks again.